0: Pastors, Larry and Tears welcome you to another New Beginnings Church podcast. Go deeper into God's Word with practical messages and lifestyle studies that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Get ready to be fit for life. This morning, I'm going to teach on Heshvan, the month of Heshvan, and it's titled Fight the Good Fight. Amen. According to the Talmud, the the month of Heshvan is where darkness reigns, yet growth begins deep beneath the surface. And you can relate that to the time of Esther when it looked like God was nowhere to be found or seen in the events going on, but he was there behind the scenes working everything out As, as he is still doing today. We can see it. But he, we can't see it, but he's in control right now through all the things that are going on. We just have to continue to do our part. And I was listening to the song Waymaker this morning, and that is exactly what he's doing. He's making a way for us during all this turmoil, all this chaos. They keep bringing up all this different kinds of COVID. But you know what? God is in control And we don't have to get any of that. We're not going to get any of that because it cannot be on our bodies. Amen. Amen. The best way to serve God is to look deep within ourselves and remember that he provides us with special times where we can make discoveries and get insights that move us forward. It is called prayer. (laughs) And sometimes we forget those times that he specifically gives us to ask him things, to listen to what he's telling us, and to get those insights and to discover the things that we probably would never think of on our own. And I remember uh, one time, um, actually, this is probably not a good example but (laughs) Scott and I were arguing I got mad I had to go to work so I stormed off to go to work and I'm just complaining about him to God and everything and all of a sudden I hear this voice if you would just be quiet it would be no argument (laughs) and I'm like well that's a discovery (laughs) so I related to that that's a discovery because I knew I wouldn't be telling myself that (laughs) so I'm like okay God I get it When we pray, we get the most extraordinary insights <laughs> to our problems, situations, and everyday lives. At times, when we're the most confused about things, we need to—we tend to make them even more complicated <laughs> instead of keeping things simple, uh, trusting in God's wisdom and listening to Him when He speaks to us when we pray. And during this time and this season which is totally the end times and we can see it, is um, we just need to pray. He's he's waiting for us to pray to enter in to bypass all this nonsense (laughs) because that's what it is. It's just all nonsense. And sometimes people make it more complicated and get everybody all riled up and the spirit of fear comes in and then we don't know what to do because it's chaos in our minds. We look at all the chaos and sometimes we can get, you know, overtaken with that. But you know what? When we pray, he brings us all back to the center, all back to the truth, and that's his word. Amen. After we've made our New Year's resolutions in the previous months of the fall High Holy Days, it's now time to be committed to growth and see that what we told ourselves and God we were going to do, it's time to get it done. Amen. (laughs) It's time for us to move forward instead of looking back forget all the stuff back then all the problems you had all the issues that came up now it's time to focus on moving forward the name heshvan is of babylonian origin and it has been give, been given many different meanings in kings 1 verse 6 it's called bull b-u-l kashi a commentator of the torah tells us it's related to the root bala which means mixture a mixture of something Rabbi David Kimchi, a great gram- grammarian, sees its root coming from the word yibol, y o y i b o l, which means crop. The midrash, which is a series of commentaries, combines both ideas. I tell you, sometimes it's like, OK, which one is it? Which one is it? <laughs> but and when you keep reading about it and everything, they both work together. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I get it now. At first I was like, mixture and crop. Now, what does that have to do with anything? But it, it works together. This is the month the flood took place. And you think about it, the flood, they did it in the coldest part of the year. <laughs> so I was like, okay, God. But it's the, it's also the time when people plant things. So I'm like, Okay. <laughs> So uh, let's look upon it as a month of destruction or bitterness, which is called, actually, the Hebrews call it, Israelites call it, uh, the month of bitterness. So, bitterness, and at the same time, of rebirth, of withering and renewal. During Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, we had an awakening, a time of seeing where we were and adjusting to what God wants for us, a time of repentance asking God to forgive us for where we've fallen short, and a reconnection to the Father, a type of rebirth. And that was our high holy days. So now we're in the new year, and we don't really get into a lot of numerical explanations, even though Pastor Larry does touch on it at times, so we understand a few things. But the numerical value of the word tov, which means good, is 17. Why am I telling you this? because it's the same date when the flood began, the 17th day of the month. <laughs> the flood was absolute destruction, so the word tov is not the word one would use to describe what happened, but it, but it was what God thought was good for the earth. It was good to have the flood. Maimamides tells us the multiple meanings, the word good tends, it, lends itself to its confusion, lends itself to is, confusion, not only in the literary sense, but the philosophic sense as well. Good can mean effective, like when something works well, like a machine or something. Boy, that works really good. Um, It can also mean aesthetic, like he looks so good since he got married. But it can also mean reflecting God's light. And I thought, how does all that work together? (laughs) But I'd say, okay, I like the one reflecting God's light as he is, as he was a good man, which is why we have the story about Noah, and he is described as a good and righteous man. So I'm like, okay, after all that, they decided to land on that one, reflecting God's light. (laughs) The flood Noah faces usually interpreted as a good thing, like the first sense um, or view. It was effective. The flood was effective for what God wanted. Everything in the world had gone wrong, and the human beings who were created to leave God 's imprint wherever they went, like us, weren't looked at as godlike or good. Uh, the human being God created defiled themselves and the world He created. and we can see that so well going on right now, and I listen to this and I look at what the Bible's telling about way back then, and here it is repeating itself, and I 'm like, oh my gosh. But praise God, he said he would not do a flood again. <laughs> the second view is people were living their lives ugly, as we would say, ugly. Cruelty, immorality, sexual exploitation is irredeemably hideous. We always associate brutality with ugliness because most of us, for most of us, beauty and harmony are physical expressions of balance and truth. We tend to be repulsed by their opposites. If it's not balanced, if it's not beautiful, we don't want it. We don't want to have anything to do with it. People have a disturbing habit to allow anything to happen as long as as we don't have to watch it. And I was um, thinking about that when they see all these people getting beat up. And in California, my son was telling me, people are walking up to people at restaurants and robbing them, and people are just sitting there watching. (laughs) And I'm like, who does that? Who would just sit there and watch while somebody's robbing somebody at a restaurant? and not say anything or do anything and I'm like man just and it's a habit of just not wanting to be involved and things like that but sometimes we have to get out of that amen all in all no matter what happened back then or is happening now before our eyes it's all evil and if we look at it as good and evil then we should be able to focus on what's really going on and say God This is not right. What does your word say we should do? What are you putting on my heart to do? It was evil that caused the world's worst disaster, not inadequacy or ugliness, but something far worse. The spirit of evil reduces humans to animals and reduces God's world to being nothing more than a jungle. And that made me think about um, in New York City, they always call it the concrete jungle. (laughs) Because it's like everybody's running around doing their own thing. And, you know, nobody really cares about another the other people there. You just walk by them and you're on your way to work or doing something. And you never pay attention to what's going on. And that's why people would get robbed standing right next to you. <laughs> and you wouldn't even think about it. you just keep going on your day. Amen? Three ways we can see how the decay of our world happened and now is repeating itself is... Number one, the downward moral spiral that led to the flood. And we see that moral spiral happening present day. The first step was relating to women as pleasure objects. Back in the day, the Torah tells us men who were in power or powerful took any woman they wanted, including married women. uh, In order to justify their actions, they created systems of religious beliefs in which God was reduced to a bigger version of themselves or so far beyond this world and its limitations that their deeds seemed hardly irrelevant. And we see that happening today. People turn everything around to make it seems like what they're doing is not bad at all. And we can see that in our government. (laughs) I mean, really, think about it. And the Bible tells us, in the last days, What is good will seem bad, and what was bad will seem good. Well, we see it right before our eyes. Uh, Today, the moral decay is everywhere, in music, movies, clothing, and even some churches, which is sad to think that it's in some churches, but it is. The second step is violence. The inevitable inevitable result of uh, removing God from the picture is violence. The co-relationship between godliness and violence can be observed by taking a glance at the animal kingdom. And I thought, man, how would they keep relating things to animals? But when I started reading, I said, man, that's really true. <laughs> their lives are brutal and short-lived. Animals live their lives without any concept of any value uh, being more than uh, sacred, being more sacred than survival. They're just there to survive. You know, they're looking out for themselves. If, if their predators are around, they're just, you know, trying to survive. And you look at what's going on now, it seems like that's what a lot of people are doing. We're just trying, and you hear people say that, we're just trying to survive. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 don't say that. Uh, It's like, you know, it's only about physical survival, contentment, and preservation, then nothing makes, if it's all about that, then nothing makes makes less sense than having a universe that expands very much beyond you and includes other people or other players. We hear every day about human beings being murdered, but people look at it as normal. Nothing really changes or is being done about it. And it's like, how can that even be? You think about it years ago. That would never happen, everybody would be up in arms, I mean everybody, and it's like now it's like, oh you know no, no problem, and I was thinking about um how it is in Chicago, and I have family that lived in Chicago, and I thought they're murdering people in their neighborhoods, robbing elderly people, and nobody oh, that's normal, it happens all the time, but it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> It's like, why can't the whole community just rise up against those people there and shut them down and, you know, take a chance, believe God? And it's like, no. Everybody just say, it's normal. I'll lock my doors, put bars up on my windows and all that stuff. But that doesn't stop bullets. (laughs) The third step, the final step downward was the world entering a stage in which petty theft. Was natural as take as natural as taking a breath, and you hear that all the time. Like my son said, people just, you know, stealing things. I think I put in here um, in San Francisco, a group of people or thieves uh, broke into a Nordstrom's, a Nordstrom's, and looted the whole store. That took things that added up to millions of dollars, and that, now you don't hear about it anymore. And it's like. <laughs> And they do that in California, too. The, the, the places where uh, defund the police. Now they want the police back. <laughs> so hey, you got what you wanted. <laughs> when a person steals something significant, at least theoretically, he is still redeemable. He may have a fairly intact sense of right and wrong and just too weak to integrate what he knows to be true into his life. And when you look at it that way, saying, I don't know. Some people know it's right from wrong. And of course, they can be redeemed if they repent or, you know, say they're sorry, pay their price, whatever. But some people are not like that. Um, when a person steals things of little value, which they do all the time, the experimental statement that he, repletes, he or she repeats again and again each time when he's faced with a choice is, is this what life is about? But then they don't care. They do it anyway, again and again. Once that mentality uh, typifies all of mankind, then there's nothing good that can survive. And we see that now. So, uh, in the end days, it says all of this stuff will happen. So, to me, it's like, don't get fearful. It has to happen this way for Jesus to come back. We just have to pray, keep standing on God's word. And, you know, we let our voices be heard because that's what they want. They want us to be quiet. But if we do that, then, you know, they have to do something. Humans are defined by the act of being what God created for us, created us for, and becoming more Jesus-like. Once we forget being and adapt having as our ultimate value, then we no longer, then we are no longer good. And I thought, man... Human beings, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do what God created us to do for him. to, He gave us all a task when we were born. Sometimes we get away from that task, but we have to dig deep and say, what's our special talent that we have? He gave us a special talent. Everybody has a special talent, has a special calling. The thing that's easiest for you to do, that is your calling, that is your task, and we just need to do that Instead of uh adapting to having like keeping up with the Joneses, so we got to have this. And I looked around in my garage and said, We have too much stuff, too much junk. <laughs> we need to we need to just get rid of all the stuff. It's like, how in the world did we accumulate all this stuff? And I'm like, I guess over the years you just keep it, but um like I have my mom's uh antique things, and it's like my kids don't want it. <laughs> I said, "Do you guys want these antique bedroom sets?" This, I have my grandmother's dining room set, and uh, my great—and she got it from her mom. So I have all of this stuff. I said, "No, no, no! This stuff is valuable. They don't care." <laughs> so I'm like, "Okay, you guys don't want so." Okay, I'm gonna sell it all. I'm gonna sell it all, get rid of it. And I said, "If I can't sell it, I'm just gonna give it to you know the mission or somebody, somebody I want it." But it's like. <clears throat> Even looking at silver, I said, okay, I'm going to give this to Mission Arlington. I had a whole tea set thing. And Scott's like, wait, 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 let me look it up. <laughs> and yes, it was worth some money. But it was uh, the one that I was giving away was just silver plated, even though I guess that's worth some money. But um, I said, no, the real the one that I really want to keep is the one that's all silver. Because so, I have two of them. And I'm like, he's like, but this one is but." that one okay i could get something for it i said but it's not as important to me as the one i got from my grandmother because she got it from somebody else and uh and then i have all this silverware which nobody likes to polish <laughs> so every now and then i go through it all but it's in the case so actually surprisingly it stays you know pretty normal uh but my kids they don't want that i said no this is silver you guys don't you understand <laughs> Silver, gold, it's worth money. You need <laughs> but you know, to them it's 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 not worth anything. They don't they don't understand. And I think a lot of things going on today, people just don't understand the value of having traditions, the value of keeping things in your family that were important to those before you, and hearing the story about those things which make it more important. <laughs> And it's so hard because sometimes we forget to hand that stuff down to our kids and that way so they don't get it, they don't understand it. Um and this year we decided uh we're gonna do some traditional things that my family used to do around Christmas time, because my son will be here then. So we're gonna do puzzles. We always did puzzles at the dining room table, and we, we always sit around the table like Thanksgiving. I had set the table, and my daughter was like, why are you setting the table? And I'm like, because we're going to sit there, and we're going to have our dinner and talk to each other <laughs> and be thankful that we're together and that we have all this food because everybody does not have what we have. And so they were like, okay. I said, you guys, we used to sit at the table and eat all the time. <laughs> she said, but... But you're watching football. Well, while we're eating, we're not going to watch football. We'll let your dad sit where he can turn his head and look. (laughs) But, you know, it's just uh, funny that uh, how we forget the, the most important things to hand down to our kids. So, you know, having to keep ourselves being human beings, being what God created us to be and handing down his good word and his traditions for us is a good thing. The flood reintroduced the concept of human beings being human. (laughs) The only survivor other than his immediate family who was saved only in his merit, only in the merit of Noah were they saved, is described as a righteous man. Noah is called simple or whole. The way the Torah uses the word simple when describing Noah is the same way a chemist uses the word simple. Um, Like you have this, this is a simple uh, element or mineral. And if you mix it with something else, then it's even more than what it can be. Um, Noah was, was what he was without additions or mixtures. He was gloriously and dazzling, true to his type. He was a human being living his life according to God's word. And back then things were black and white. They were like, either you do this or you don't do this. Either you're obedient kids or or people or you don't. And, you know, back then, there was no in between. You got stoned or you got cast out of the place. (laughs) And it's like, man, what would happen if we started doing all that stuff to kids nowadays? (laughs) I think we we would have not as many people. (laughs) But you know what? But sometimes having things black and white is a good thing. Because otherwise, you just readjust everything according to what we think. And sometimes our thoughts are not like God's thoughts necessarily. Like the Bible says, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we need to aspire to have his thoughts in our mind and in our hearts instead of what we think. Because looking around in the world, our thoughts and the way we think can be skewed by everything around us. And it's just so sad to think that we get so influenced by the things around us that we would take that over what God's word says. But then again, like in some churches, they don't really read the Bible. They'll take a scripture out of it. I went to a church uh, when I went to visit my uh, cousin in New York, and I'm like, okay, we're going to church. And, you know, everybody she goes all the time. And then I went in there, and the the preacher uh he took out one scripture about Moses and he said it 10 different ways. And, uh, people were acting like the Holy ghost fell and everything. I'm like, and I'm looking around like, okay, he didn't teach you nothing about what the word said. And he didn't do, he didn't tell you nothing else about Moses. He just said the scripture so many different ways. And I was like, you guys are not learning anything. And I'm like, O M G. You know, so I started trying to help him out. I was raising my hand, Amen, Hallelujah. You know, and he finally came in the back after it was all over and said, Here's my Amen partner. And I'm like, I wanted to say, you didn't teach them not one thing. But I said, Don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, hallelujah. But it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, people go to church, they think they got something, and really they left empty. And it's like, man, and, and I know that preacher. He's been at that church preaching for decades. And it's like, oh, my gosh, all these people who have learned nothing have not moved their, you know, lives forward any, anywhere. And, so, and the sad thing is, is he's going to have to account for that. But what's even sadder is it makes people think they're doing the right thing and they totally miss the whole concept of what God wants for them and they totally miss how they can improve themselves. They totally miss that you're here with this group, your church family, and you should be helping one another and lifting one another up, but you're here and then you go and you don't even think about them. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, God, help us help the preachers and take the preachers out that just take it as a job and keep the ones that are anointed and called to be the pastors in their pulpits. But, you know, I just think during this last days, how many they talk about the great falling away. I mean, we see it now, but I think it's going to be a whole lot more because people are not they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to stand on God's word because they don't read it. And they don't have anybody telling them to read it. (laughs) They don't have anybody explaining things to them, uh, you know. And it's like, oh my gosh, God help us. So that's why that's one reason why I pray. In the month of the flood, made the world human, good, worthy of continued survival. Because at one point in the Bible, God said. How long do I have to be with you guys? (laughs) How long do I have to put up with you guys? And he only gave us 120 years. And my family laughs at me funny when I say, oh, no, I have 120 years, and I want every single one of them unless Jesus comes back. And I'm going to be like Moses was. I'm not going to faint. My body's going to be whole and healthy, and I'm not going to be feeble. Not one of them that came out of Egypt was feeble. They, their minds were not weak. Their eyes were sharp. And I said, I want every single one of those things for 120 years unless Jesus comes back. And they just look at me and laugh. Like, no, 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 no. That's what the word says. Because back then they lived, what, 500, 900 years? And, you know, things got so bad. And he said, I, I can't deal with you guys anymore. <laughs> I'll give you only 120 years and we'll see how that works. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, God. You know, I just thank him that he does preserve us. He does preserve us. And people need to understand that, realize that, and stand on it when things come against you. We need to stand on his word. Amen. The month of Heshvan, as we have, we have choices. During this month, we have choices to make about our relationship to the real world. And the real world is God's world not the one we're in right now. (laughs) The ordinary days and months that we have yet to face, we have to make commitments not to flinch in the face of the mundane things we see and the simple choices we make. We are not to flinch to back up or anything that we see that's happening in this world today. It's not for us to back up. It's not for us to flinch and go, oh my gosh, this is happening. No. God's word said he is behind the scenes working things out. He is in control. So all of the things that we see, yes, they're crazy. Yes, they're confusing. Yes, they're uh, frightening, some of them. But God will preserve us. God will see us through And we just have to stand on his word and believe what he says. The Bible says that we are to trust in, rely on, and stand in his word without wavering, without wavering. No matter what happens, we just need to praise God. You're going to bring me through it. You're going to breathe your breath of life in whoever, in our families. You're going to, you know, but sometimes it's, it's time for people to go. And we don't understand that. So that's one of the mysteries of the Bible. And yes, we're going to miss them and all that. But when we know where they're going, it makes a totally different uh, thing to people. I, I, when my mom passed away, I was not sad. I mean, I was sad that I, I, that she was gone and that I missed her. But I was not cr- over crying and everything because she died. And my family's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I said, because you know what? I I had her in my house. She lived with me. I knew it was her time. She wanted to go. I, I said, but you know what? I know where she is. I know where she is. It's when you don't know that you're all upset and everything. But I said, no, I know where she is. And she's living her best life. She's not sick anymore. Her mind is sharp. And I just, you know, and she just, when she found out that she couldn't get out of the bed anymore or I couldn't get her up and that her mind, her thoughts were not clear, she just told me, oh, no. <laughs> she said, I'm ready. I am ready to see Jesus. And she told me many times that she had seen him. And so I'm like, okay. And, and, uh, and so that day before, you know, I was up there getting her all cleaned up and ready for bed, and she said, I'm going home. And I said, Mom, you are home. And then I thought about it after, uh, and I thought, you're right. You're right. Are you ready to go home? And she said, I'm ready to go home. And I said, okay. I said, okay. And then the next morning, I went up there, saw her, got her, talked to her. We prayed. and um, And then I said, okay, I'm going to go downstairs and get your breakfast for you your doctor's gonna be here in a second she'll come up and uh, check you out and everything and then when the doctor came it wasn't even five minutes and she went up there so I let her in and she went up there so well go ahead I'm gonna finish making her breakfast and then the doctor called me and said I can't get a pulse so my mom just slept went back to sleep when I left her and she just you know when I'm like oh okay and they were looking at me like okay she's gonna break down and then I'm like oh okay <laughs> And they were like, OK, why are you just so calm? <laughs> I said, because she already told me. <laughs> so it's a big difference when you know what where they are going. And when they know, because she told us. And like my grandmother before, she said when she went to her last reunion, she said, this is my last reunion. She said, I've been to the mountaintop. And I, we we're like, OK. And so when she passed away and everybody's you know falling apart, I said, Guys, she told us. This is her last reunion, and on the way back, she died. But it was like, she told us. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> she told us. <laughs> but you know what? During this time, it's not for us to flinch and to, you know, get overly anxious about things because God is working things out. He's, he's the way maker for us. And he is making our way straight. We just need to stay on the path and know that what he says is going to come to pass. And it's true. And it has to happen for Jesus to come back. And we just need to keep ourselves ready for when Jesus comes back. We need to know that he's coming. We need to know that here's the things that we need to be doing. We need to be getting closer to him. We need to read the word so we can see and understand what is happening. So we don't let the spirit of fear come in and let the devil Get us derailed, Amen. It's a great time of a great time and great opportunity to fight the good fight, the one in which goodness, in its highest sense, always prevails against evil. And we need to remember that goodness will always prevail against evil. The month of Heshvan is the training battleground, and our weapons are the gifts we have received or obtained in the previous month of Tishri. So let's set, our, let's set the tone for the year, integrate the spiritual insights and gifts gleaned from the high holy days. And, um, and we need to remember that. We were awakened so that we can see. We repented of things where we thought we fell short in Yom Kippur. And in Sukkot, we were rebirthed. We have a new house. That's why when living in the Sukkah, they look to the heavens They leave it open, and during that time, we were reborn. It's a new year. We're reborn to do the things that God has called us to do. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. God bless you. Remember, fight the good fight. Amen.